it became fairly clear to me that what we're experiencing now is a really um, an opening of, of, of context and um, this to my mind is something that the digital age and globalization has enabled us to to do but that we haven't really taken full advantage of in in a responsible adult way. You're listening to Conversations on a Sustainable Life with Libby O'Loughlin and Renee Laplante. Hi everyone, this is Libby. Um, just giving you a heads up that we, Renee and I, decided to switch out the planned episode, which was going to be Tools for Change, and instead address what is most pressing on our minds at the moment, which is Black Lives Matter. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Libby. Good morning, Renee. How are you? Well, um, I'm... I don't know how to start. It's it's yeah. not about it's not about me right now. Yep, <laughs> it's the best that's sure. the best that I can offer. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I'm right there with you. We um, yeah. Yeah. How do we start? Where do you want to start? This is this is um we we've been through a couple of weeks of uh Black Lives Matter being at the front and center of a lot of people's awareness. And yes, um, I think it's probably good to set the context. Absolutely. So in doing that, would you mind if I read from a slide deck no, that was please. shared by a Googler called Jenna Butler? And she's made this slide deck public for people to use who would like to be stepping into um speaking up a bit more about these the the issue of racism and thus I'm going to take her lead and be very grateful that she has shared this as a black woman and I'm just going to read about the context because as we'll hear along the way context is very important yes let's do that okay um for people who aren't aware the reasoning behind the protests Um, In the words of Janae Butler, the recent murder of George Floyd is a result of the ongoing issue of police brutality and bias when considering the value of black men and women's lives. Floyd was arrested for using a counterfeit $20 note to buy cigarettes in in Minneapolis on May the 25th. Officers claim his resistance led to the video footage showing Derek Chauvin kneeling on Floyd's neck for eight minutes, an act that ultimately led to his death. This is not the first time police force has led to the death of a person of colour, in brackets POC. However, this incident has led to nationwide protests that have put a more intense focus on law enforcement bias against people of colour that have been left unacknowledged and mistreated by those in power. Yes. These protests are not based on Floyd alone. Rather, the mistreatment and blatant racism shown against unarmed, non-violent POC that have been going on for decades, protesters that have taken the streets of many different cities across the country to stand in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement to make a deepened push for law enforcement reform. Yeah. So that's just one, one page of this really educational and... His, um, yeah, it gives a very broader perspective also, um, for example, other important faces to know mm-hmm. in the history. Uh, I thought it was a good place to start because as a white woman, mm-hmm. um, I'm aware of the words that I use and it's I'm finding it quite a challenge mm. <laughs> to to find the right words and at the same time, it's important not to get caught up in the the drama of oh my goodness, what do I say? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the offering that I can give, and I'll put a link into the show notes for that slide deck. Yeah, it's um, really good. And I've be, I've been sharing that slide deck with people as well. Well, so. thank you, thank you for sharing it with me too, because 
despite my connection to Google, I did not know about it. So I'm glad to have, yeah, this incredible resource and yeah, opportunity to keep learning. I think that's where mm-hmm. I find myself right now is, um, you know, being, I've been very silent and um, unfortunately, you know, there's this concept that says silence is acceptance. And, but, you know, that's not why I've been silent. I've been silent because I know this isn't about me and I want to be very respectful. And, mm. uh, and yet it's very, it's, you know, after a while I was like, you know, I don't want anyone to imagine that I'm not recognizing this and I'm not aware and I'm not caring. So, you know, on, on my side, it's just been, uh, you know, trying to, find the right words just to say I am a supporter and I will I am trying to learn and I'm continuing to challenge myself and you know uh, recognize my privilege in all its forms so that I can change and I can help others to to see and change and and move forward in a better way much better way hmm. And it's uh, also important to recognize, I think, that uh, people have different personalities mm-hmm. and different ways of processing information. Yeah. And for my part, the, uh, the important thing has been to be able to hold the two things in my head. One, I need to process this. Mm-hmm. Two, it's important to speak up. Yeah. And where those two meet is going to be different for everyone and um, how we speak up as well is going to be different for everyone because people are on different social media. Mm-hmm. Some people have more impact in per- in a personal real life sense. Their, their personal real life contacts mm-hmm. are more impactful than, for example, their Twitter contacts. Or So I think, yes, we can use... Our, all of our platforms um, and in, in with the sustainability lens whatever's sustainable for us personally is going to have the most impact mm-hmm. and that is not to say um, oh I'm just going to wait and see what is best for me because again it's holding the two things it's taking steps as we go and also being unafraid to make mistakes and I know that I've I've made mistakes as well yep. and the important thing is to be learning as we do this yep. and um, yeah and Renee I just would like to invite you to talk about your your backpack oh yeah metaphor that you use because I found that very helpful when we were discussing this earlier absolutely I mean this is not an uncommon thing I, think this kind of the idea of the invisible backpack has been around for quite some time and it's part of some of the diversity training and learning that I went through when I was working at Google as a manager but also just as in the people ops organization it was something that we were all encouraged to learn about and empowered to learn about so the concept is that everybody is carrying a backpack through life and that backpack is filled with things already kind of based on where you landed in life. Um, The original paper was by Peggy McIntosh, uh, titled White Privilege, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack. Um, She starts off with a great quote. I was taught to see racism only in individual acts of meanness, not in invisible systems conferring dominance on my group. And then she goes on to explain how she was doing her women's studies and exploring um, this unwillingness in some cases of white men to say they are overprivileged, um, but recognizing that other people, races, uh, genders were underprivileged. And so she wanted to kind of center herself in that and started writing down the daily effects of white privilege in her life, which she ended up with a list of 50 Mm. things. Um, related to various dimensions. So she called them conditions that she attaches to skin color privilege more than to class, religion, ethnic status, or geographic location. 
obviously recognizing that's all intertwined. Um, but mm. in any case, I really recommend everybody read the paper, just read those 50 statements, because if you can go along those statements and say, check, yes, I agree with that, then it is so blatantly, it becomes really, really blatantly obvious and kind of uh, now conscious that those are pieces of privilege that you have in your backpack. Like uh, the other thing I really like about this paper is that it opened up the context and the ability for people to talk about um, and think about this in other ways. So what is the situation or kind of what are those privileges afforded to people who have ability, you know, physical abilities and, you know, just normal, um, everyday things that we think are normal, everyday things, you know, a person in a wheelchair would experience very differently. Mm. Or um, other related minority um, groups experience the quote-unquote normal world, right, in different ways. And so you can start to see how everybody's backpack is filled with so many different things, like Mm. both privileges and and difficulties, and they can be different weights um, and could be filled with challenge and limitations or shame and fear, um, even self-loathing and pressure coming from the, you know the baggage that we're all creating potentially for ourselves, um, the stories mm. we're creating, and um, also the the things that have been conferred on us externally by external sources. Obviously, all of us have struggled through something and continue to struggle through something in life. You know, that's not, we're you know human, so that's part of our existence. But I mean, the amount of struggle and the where where those struggles and where those pressures and limitations and challenges come from, mm. whether it's internal or external, varies significantly. Mm. And so that's kind of how I've been trying to understand this a little bit better. And then there's a part about this problem that I really have been starting to understand better by talking to friends about it, which is, you know, one piece of the the police brutality element and, and the um, fact that, you know, people of color or in particularly black men and women, um, and, you know, they experience this sense of not feeling safe around certain people, right? In particular police, perhaps, but, you know, even other people, like even maybe when I'm passing someone on the street, do they feel safe by in my presence, you know? And so when reflecting on the level of safety that people have and where they get that from and or don't get it from, um, that just really alarmed me because I was you know, my, you know, privilege is that I can walk around the city and uh, feel quite safe and I can walk past a police officer and feel safe. Um, but that's not the case for everybody. And mm. that is, to me, that's, that's the part that really made me um, wonder, gosh, we need, that's not okay. That's really not okay. And that's not what we're here for, for each other. So, you know, to me, you know, there's so much to do around the systems and, and the, you know, way bias exists and how people and police officers are trained and, um, you know, how we think. So there's a lot of it on the mindset and on the training, but there's also really just helping each other feel safe. And without safety, we can't progress. We just can't, you know, that's... And uh, can I suggest yeah. that part of that is uh, an embodiment kind mm. of element. So we can theorise and we can um, come up with plans of attack and yeah. um, so on and so forth. And we keep coming back to this in this podcast, don't we, that we're far more than just spreadsheets and mm -hmm. um, the logic of it. And yeah. The embodied experience is not something that I have as a as a white woman, mm -hmm. and at the same time, um, becoming very aware um, of the fact that this is a this is really a lived experience for many people. 
Absolutely. And, um, yeah. So um, I wonder where we go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm the first one to admit that I, I really have no answers. And a lot of times, uh, you know, particularly it's, you know, sustainability or climate change I'm like oh yeah I've got lots of ideas and answers you know and practical things mm. I've tried but you know in this topic frankly I'm I feel very naive I feel very um I, again I, I need to continue learning and I need to continue listening and mm. you know my wisdom is absolutely not necessary right now on this topic um so yeah so I'm it's hard for me because it, a lot of times I, I want to be the one who helps make things okay. And mm-hmm. I know that that's not possible for me right now. And I'm very far mm-hmm. away from my family in the U.S. Um, and I'm very far away from this movement kind of in you know practical terms. But um, emotionally, I feel very involved. And um, I'm just, I'm not ready. I don't, I don't have answers right now. How about you? How are you mm-hmm. feeling on that? Um, well, actually, what I did over the past week is I went back and I looked at all well all of the the tools and the um, exercises that I've been using and the ones that we've been suggesting people yeah um, interact with in our show notes and things like that. Just because it became fairly clear to me that what we're experiencing now is a really um an opening of 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 context Mm. and um this to my mind is something that the digital age and globalization has enabled us to to do but that we haven't really taken full advantage of in in a responsible adult way Mm. (laughs) so what i'm really appreciating is all of the the learning that i've been receiving I guess, from from Mm -hmm. people who are willing to share as well as um, my own research just around opening up contexts. And a while back I did a piece for the Impact Hub here in Zurich Mm -hmm. um, around around diversity and inclusion in the the workplace. And, okay, diversity and inclusion, these are now terms that are considered somewhat problematic in some Mm. circles. And at the same time, it, it's a useful step to have gone through, I think, for many companies and organizations and people mm-hmm. because it's all about opening up contexts mm. and in enabling people to think and somehow, uh, I'm going to use that word embody again because mm-hmm. some of the exercises that, are, uh, that were done in that period were about sort of imagining um, yourself in someone else's shoes and all this sort of thing. Yeah. But one of the key things that came out of that was the element of time mm-hmm. and how it takes um, this proactive kind of factoring in extra time. Yeah. Which go which goes against the idea of productivity. You know, yes. sort of how can we be optimized? How can we be sleek? And yes. how can we get this done in the least amount of time with the least amount of people hours with the least amount of this that and the other? Well, the all the 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 discussions that I had with people around that time were like, well, actually, yeah, that that that's all great, but that is all part of the industrialist kind of exchange mentality, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. people are round and those boxes are square so yeah um when we take time to talk with people and ask questions and be curious and all that sort of thing then it does open up um an understanding of a broader context and that people bring a different context with them when they walk into a room Mm -hmm. even though it looks like we're all living you know in the same room that's not the story and this is something Mm -hmm. that as a fiction writer I, i um, have become quite aware of is that that you know what we see in a person is really only the tip of a very very large iceberg oh, and sure, sometimes yeah. it's not appropriate to ask the questions and find out about people um, and yet now interestingly we're in this time where it's clear if someone is a black person they are experiencing things very differently mm-hmm. and I think we we 
skirt skirt around this a lot, especially when it's like you know um, we're in a work environment and we've, we're taught to um, behave in certain ways and to have strong boundaries mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Well, all of this is getting completely blown out of the water, right? Because so true. Because what do we do now in those situations where Absolutely. it's clear that it's, it's so clear now we, we, it needs it needs addressing anyway so back to my point about context i think you know it's it's important if we have the the learning and the ability and the skills in our backpack too like not everything in our backpack is mm-hmm. is weighty and correct negative as you say so, sometimes it's 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 a joyful skill that we have and mm-hmm. um if we're if we're really great at googling stuff and finding stuff out then go ahead and do it because i think now is the time to look at these history um and you know for example um well a slight digression into what trauma means you know Mm. because for some reason people have been traumatizing other people for for many many centuries yeah absolutely and this you know white people were traumatizing each other for thousands of years or a thousand years at least you know in the middle ages and mm-hmm. um you know yeah stealing land from people and you know feudalism was not yeah. a pretty thing no, so and even today with um, terrorism that it still exists mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. and all the, the the studies the scientific studies are now saying it takes 14 generations oh. in order for um, oh, wow. trauma to be Somehow, I mean, I, I can't remember what the exact study is. I think mm-hmm. it's it, um, it's fairly new science, but there's a really good episode um, on on being with Krista Tippett, where she's talking, or actually she's interviewing uh, mm-hmm. Resma Menakam, I think his name is, and he, um, about the embodiment of racism and trauma, and he's a trauma oh, uh, wow. psychologist or psych- psychotherapist or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's a really interesting little digression there back to context again yeah so looking at all of these um i'm just gonna if, if you don't mind i'll just go through some of the th- the things that i've mentioned in the last few episodes yeah please go for it so yeah i looked at uh the limiting beliefs mm-hmm. worksheet yep and that was an interesting one because it's talking about if you have a commitment or an improvement goal in your life what are the obstacles on the path Mm-hmm. And the hidden worries that we have and the competing commitments and the assumptions behind the fear that we have. Well, you know, if if your if one of your immediate worries is physical safety, mm-hmm. I think that's gonna override everything, yeah, you know? Absolutely. So it's just worth worth noting that if you're able to do the limiting beliefs worksheet and it works for you. Mm-hmm. You probably have a, a degree of privilege. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, very good That's point. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the role of food in sustainability. We talked about that, and food security. Of course, I mentioned that in one of the episodes that yeah. that not everyone has access to all kinds of foods. Yeah. Um, and therefore they may choose to or need to be eating animals and they the educational um you know the the context around the around around people mm-hmm. affects this and education affects it and all of that stuff we did cover a bit of that but um i guess it's important to note that you know i mentioned for example if you can afford it that you could get a blood test done Mm -hmm. well that's obviously not available for everyone that's true and i mean i'm talking about uh, on that that's that's a sort of an economic thing and that 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 obviously doesn't apply to everyone but that's but also um, you know what insurance will cover from an individual you know based on the individual's profile right not everybody mm -hmm. has the same level of insurance not everybody is being Mm. reviewed to receive the same level of coverage you know um, yep. Or have access to the same types of um, mm-hmm. procedures and you know kind of doctors and, and breadth of what's out there. So yep, yeah, that definitely falls into a, a limitation and yeah, and it, not everybody is getting the same opportunity, basically. Mhm, mhm. 
And at the, uh, at the same time, I need to mention that many, many cultures over the millennia have, have paired beans and whole grains together. Mm-hmm. And I, as a hope, would hope that many people have access to a bean and a grain and that someone who can teach them how to put those together, mm-hmm. that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're in a position to do that, do that. Um, let's see. Uh, the other um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. It, this is something that I hadn't discovered before, which is really interesting that Maslow himself visited in 1938 a reserve of Aboriginal peoples in Alberta, Canada. Mm-hmm. And this was the Blackfoot Reserve in Siksika. I'm not sure if that's exactly how you say it. Um, and his presence there has has enabled people to make a link between the hierarchy pyramid itself mm-hmm. and the TP First Nations perspective, which at the base of it has self-actualization and then community actualization and cultural perpetuity at the top and when you there's a um a diagram which i can link in the show notes which was made in 2004 and the psychological needs that's at the base of the um maslow mm-hmm. hierarchy well the, the word hierarchy for a start gives you a, a clue that it's um going to be a linear yeah. a, approach which starts with psychological needs then to safety belonging and love esteem need to know and understand aesthetic and then to, right at the top two two tiers there's self-actualization and then transcendence at the very top and this is linear a linear approach which since then according to wikipedia people have uh, suggested that it's actually more of an overlapping process and Within the First Nations perspective, it's called an expansive concept of time and multiple dimensions of reality built into this. So the self-actualization may be at the bottom, leading towards the community actualization and the cultural perpetuity, but then there's some kind of spiritual element that's built into that entire process, making it less of a linear thing and more of a hmm, expansive, I guess, thing. And um, Mm -hmm. I can link to the... Uh, the articles and there's a social sciences and humanities research council of canada put out a a paper called rediscovering blackfoot science and how first nations helped develop a keystone of modern psychology yeah so that that was very interesting uh to come across um this is just an interesting thing to note is that um he studied what he called this is Maslow mm-hmm. studying. He studied what this is from the Wikipedia, by the way. Okay. Maslow studied what he called the master race of people, oh. such as Albert Einstein, oh. Jane Addams, Eleanor Roosevelt, Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're black people. Right. Yeah. Um, rather than mentally ill or neurotic people, mm-hmm. which is. This is a, a criticism, I think, that writing that the, the crippled, stunted, immature and unhealthy specimens can yield only a cripple psychology and a cripple philosophy. Hmm. OK, all of that is just to say that he had a very narrow mm-hmm. kind of view of what, what he was studying. And he studied the healthiest one percent of the college student population. OK, that's yes. already building a picture, right? Yes. Um, the order in which the hierarchy is arranged has been criticized as being ethnocentric yes. by Geert Hofstetter, and in turn, Hofstetter's work has been criticized by others. So this is where we're just going around and around with different perspectives. Mm-hmm. But um, another thing, Maslow's hierarchy of needs fails to illustrate and expand upon differences between social and intellectual needs of those raised in individualistic societies and those raised in collectivist societies. Mm-hmm. The needs and drives of those in individualistic societies tend to be more self-centered than those in collectivist societies, mm-hmm. focusing on improvement of the self with actualization being the apex of self-improvement. In collectivist societies, the needs of acceptance and community will outweigh the needs for freedom and individuality. Wow. So, um... Tell me... The higher order... Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, Tell me your 
conclusions or where do you <laughs> yeah take that all this is to say i'm i'm not going to conclude anything at this point okay. what i'm going to do is i'm blowing open a context for you yeah and that's my act that is my act <laughs> to blow open context Brilliant. in order for us to and to challenge challenge you to think about it mm-hmm. and to think w- whether you're going to use it mm-hmm. how it fits in with our with our culture mm-hmm. um you know yours and mine and the culture that a listener might be listening in mm-hmm. theirs um let's see non-violent or compassionate communication yes this uh i'm going to read again from the wiki because it's the quickest way without all of my ums and ahs in okay. <laughs> <laughs> non-violent communication has been applied in organizational and business settings in parenting education meditation psychotherapy healthcare, and addressing eating issues injustice as a basis for children's book among other contexts rosenberg related ways this is rosenberg is the one who founded it mm-hmm. related ways he used nonviolent communication in peace programs in conflict zones including rwanda burundi nigeria malaysia indonesia sri lanka colombia serbia croatia ireland and the middle east including um, the disputed west bank wow um, the Center for Nonviolent Communication says that NVC emerged from work he was doing with civil rights activists in the early 1960s. And during that, this period, he also mediated between rioting students and college administrators and worked to peacefully desegregate public schools in long segregated regions. Brilliant. Um, yeah. And some criticism says the exclusivity of NVC appears to favor the well-educated, valuing those with more awareness of grammar word choice and syntax Mm. which you know maybe maybe not because Mm -hmm. if he was using it in in those places aforementioned Mm -hmm. i'm guessing there that um that may not have been such a big part or maybe part of it is educating people in how to use for example as we did we talked about sticky words and giraffe yeah exactly um jackal words so and finding those words whatever they are in their community right so it doesn't mean that you have to it's not like he was imposing a particular vocabulary on people it's more like the idea that there are other words and let's choose them carefully and yeah and then with i mean obviously he was working in countries with very different languages um Mm -hmm. so yeah needing to operate also from the local language must have been part of it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this is precisely the point of this is that when you have two people walking into a room you have two different cultures walking into a room yeah you have two different even if even if on the surface you look it looks like two white people yeah they're coming from very different backgrounds like you know there's a difference between me a white australian and me a white american a white american uh from the field people that i know who've used nbc in um actually in african countries um, have talked about the critically the amount of time it takes mm-hmm. yeah and that we have to commit to um not looking at this in terms of productivity and checking boxes and getting a to understand b and blah 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 yeah. it's it's much more embodied and a lived experience mm-hmm. and this takes time and it changes the way we view time yeah. so that's one aspect mm-hmm. that's worth talking about mm-hmm. and if i may keep going <laughs> um journaling i talked about um the idea of yes. of um you, you know, getting your morning pages going um, in light of Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only context I would add for that one is that um, journaling is, you know, used in all kinds of therapy settings as well as in coach settings, yeah. as well as in um, artist settings and creativity, getting your mojo back mm-hmm. kind of. Um, for sure. So that that I think I, I um I think it crosses a lot of boundaries. Of course, the it it's predicated on the fact that you can write to a degree. So that but that's I mean that's like a, a different right. Yeah, it's true that your literacy and you're capable of writing all of these. Yeah. Mm. Um. 
Yeah, so that's my look retrospectively at mm-hmm. some of the things that we touched on. Mm-hmm. And um, the only thing would be, you know, in storytelling as well. I, I mean, I talk about obstacles that protagonists face and all that kind of thing. And, and there, there's quite a bit of discussion about what what the shape of stories mm-hmm. is in different cultures. But, I mean, we didn't really talk too much about that and I don't think that anything that I said was I mean I was just talking literally about uh, um, the obstacles that we face Mm -hmm. and the the ability to be able to um, to think in terms of spheres around us and Mm -hmm. and the the things that we encounter along the way and how obstacles are related to change and Mm -hmm. so far I haven't seen anything in my reading that that would criticize that mm-hmm. way of thinking so mm-hmm. I'm I think open it's to learning well in that space I would just add that you know obviously storytelling also um, involves including information and omitting information and so when um, information has been omitted for example the actual history of black people or you know like certain details that were horrendous and it's like no no you know in our history books that just wasn't approached or it wasn't documented. Um, Mm -hmm. Just keeping in mind that storytelling is, you know, that it lacks something at every point. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a choice of what's going into Mm -hmm. that story. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Because writers are good at the art of selecting and arranging information. There we go. Mm -hmm. And that's the art right yeah and with that comes huge responsibility Mm -hmm. so now and and going back to this idea of the context we're now able to research and present things so that things are in uh, a thoughtful place Mm -hmm. um and we can become hopefully more aware of bias yes biases as much as possible external and internal you know absolutely it's different so that's that little... That was um, great. Yeah, run through of all the tools that we've talked about, mm-hmm. but and also pointing out their flaws, right? So thank you for doing that. And um, yeah, this is great. It's important for us to reflect. And yeah, as you mm-hmm. say, blow out the context. And yeah, opening opening to all that is instead of what we're just used to seeing. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, during this time, I've been, again, listening, reading very quietly um, and just, you know, kind of questioning myself too. you know, why, what role is sustainability playing in all of this, if at all, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and how do we, how do we actually reconcile these kind of movements in the sense of um, we need to right now, the Black Lives Matter moment is so crucial it's so critical for our whole success of humanity and and you know kind of the the moving forward um and the acknowledgement and the reconciliation and everything that's built in there so i just feel like it's really important to focus on the people who need it right now and to prioritize them and so that's another reason why i've been awfully quiet on like the facebook group and everywhere that you know just not it's not about me and and yet sustainability has this inherent time pressure to it Mm. um Mm. and i'm personally just really struggling with that because um obviously the right thing to do is to prioritize this movement and to focus on the people who need it and that is what i think we're doing right that that is what Mm -hmm. most people are doing right now and um and Yet it's also critical that we're addressing the fact that our environment is slowly losing its chance to to continue um, mm-hmm. based on... And addressing this is going to help with the other. Yeah, know? exactly. They're, they're not, not unrelated. This is the important thing. You know, people um, talk about... Exactly. I mean, it's very easy, I think, for us to go, oh, well, that's that segmented idea and that's that idea when in fact they're entirely related to each other exactly 
Exactly. Actually, I listened to a great podcast called mm-hmm. The Inseparable Link Between Climate Change and Racial Justice. That's on, on a podcast run by NPR called Shortwave. Mm-hmm. And it's an interview with marine biologist Ayana Elizabeth Johnson, who talks about the, or makes the point that the, we really need all hands on deck at this point. And yeah. when black people are being zapped of energy and exhausted by having to deal with this very base level um, racism, it it really just puts up a huge barrier between um, them being able to put their energy into this um, problem, this huge challenge that we're all facing. Yes. And um, I, I really encourage people to listen to that podcast because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it puts it, she puts it really well and... Um, it's a really good motivation for people. I think if you, if sustainability and climate change concerns you, then necessarily we need to be concerned about this issue because they are linked. Yep. And and I think that's that's got to be the challenge exactly. moving forward. Exactly. So yeah. So I am you know just kind of embracing it and bringing it mm. into my thoughts and bringing it into like how how do we include this now in moving forward on sustainability and again don't I don't have a lot of answers yet um and that's and I may never but you know as someone who's very who cares very much um I will do my best to include them Mm. merge Mm. them and and bring them forward and keep moving on that path towards progress Mm. so can I mention one of the uh things that I've found really helpful over the years that Mm, I continue to, and and this was a good reminder, this recent um, uprising was a very good reminder to, to really push forward with this is to, to really fill your, um, fill your vision Mm -hmm. with, with uh, black stories, black people's stories. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm using the word black because this is the preferred Yes, term in a lot of places over people of color, mm-hmm. um, because it's about naming it up and making people uncomfortable yep. and really forcing people to hold the mirror up on themselves. Yep. Um, so I'm just going to continue to use that for now. Um, and for example, on Instagram, I've been delighted by all of the sharing that um, people that I follow have. Um, in terms of being enabling me to find amazing women of color, mm. black women. I said it again. I don't know how to even talk about it properly, but anyway, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm trying. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 black women that I'm now following have the most incredibly beautiful feeds, and um, like for example, I can link a few plant-based um, black women oh, great. who do fantastic, beautiful photography, and um, and uh, you know there's uh, no waste mm. one that I'm following a woman that I'm following an account um, and you know environmentalists black women environmentalists mm-hmm. and there's a lot out there and and again it's it uh, it's about being able to have a, a really broad spectrum of input into mm-hmm. our vision mm-hmm. and likewise um when I had a I had a radio show like decades ago, mm-hmm. um, which I produced with a, a friend of mine on it was on a music one and, and uh-huh. I did a lot of research and listening to a lot of black musicians and um, yeah. it it wasn't until I really read, for example, the history of the blues and mm-hmm. the black families that were fleeing north uh-huh. in like the history of I think it's called History of Blues and Roots Music or something like that in a book that I really understood why I had a visceral reaction to some of the the black men's um, music that made me feel just, I, I couldn't even put words to it, yeah. how, how distressed I felt when I was listening to it and mm. and the words that were they were using. Um, and and I, it wasn't until I read that book that I thought, ah, I understand this is coming from a place of people fleeing from yeah. the South, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, terrible injustices and I knew about slavery and all that all that of course but but just not not understanding the impact of when when slaves were freed Mm -hmm. 
the the laws around being able to um, arrest mm-hmm. black people just for being in the street. You know, yeah, I my mean, goodness, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, it, it's really the music. Some of the music that I listened to was was a, you know a lot of wow. um, black musicians, and it was very interesting to have that sort of ticking along in the background and um and and just sort of diving into the the, the things that interest you you know mm-hmm. you may not be someone who's going to be interested in food but if you are interested in music and and we yeah. all listen to some kind of music probably yeah then start to notice our physical our embodied reaction to listening to a particular track and think okay what is it about this and yeah. just just start opening up yeah the 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 thoughts around how it's impacting us and where it's come from and all of that um definitely and i want to mention that uh, a while a couple couple of summers ago i did a fantastic poetry and plays course at the university of iowa oh cool um it was one of their massive online courses that was open basically and it's a fantastic resource Uh um and it was called Writing Identities Through Poetry and Plays. Mm. And as some of the assignments we were given, we were um, asked to um, write a persona poem or a monologue mm. as um, like a, choose a person of social or historical significance uh-huh. in recent or distant, distant you know, history. Okay. And then write a poem or a monologue from their point of view. Oh wow! And you, and in doing that exercise, you consider and use the specific, the language, the jargon, the technical terms, the slang, the idioms, and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the the important thing to note is that if you if you're doing that, give you have need to kind of carefully think about the responsibility mm. that you take on when you try to imagine someone else. Mm-hmm. So you need to can think how you might write that person from a different wow. time, place, or culture with sensitivity and respect. And and I'm not saying you want to go out and share that with everyone. This is just like a private exercise in a yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you you just never know when <laughs> when you're going to insult someone or whatever. But it's it's an interesting exercise to put yourself in someone else's shoes and to do a little bit of research about their context. Absolutely. Um, and there are some great videos. Um. Tamika Cage Conley, Dr. Tamika Cage Conley, she's um, a playwright and mm. I think she's a poet as well. And she um, just uh, wrote the most amazing um, play in response to police brutality. Oh, it was wow. probably quite a few years ago now, but I have a great video of her, link to her talking about that. And that's, a, that's really interesting how she approached that in a way that was... Um, opening out context and opening mm-hmm. out people to be able to see the humanity in in the characters' yeah. uh, lives and the way that they talk to each other and uh, I mean it's just a horrible thing to have to be writing about but for for her it was um, she says that it's it it's just one of the police brutality is one of the most present things in black communities mm-hmm. around where she is. <sighs> Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah that's that's another thing and um uh Camille Rankine's another black poet who talks about the pantoum which is a form of poetry and rep- the repetition and the texture of words and that's mm. another interesting video to have a look at so yeah yeah that's just a few so things that cool I, things. I mentioned just because the this is not something that I, f- I feel is a chore you know it's right. not something that we go oh now I have to research this and now I- no it's like Think about the things that really move you in life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and now broaden your lens a bit. Yeah. You know, that's all. For sure. No, those are such good resources and suggestions. And I'm so grateful that you are here with so much to say, because again, um, you know, like I'm just still in reflection mode and, um, you know, a couple of things you said, which really prompted me and I didn't want to interrupt you because you've so much great resources there um is you know where do I get my inspiration I mean I was really reflecting on this and I was amazed and you know it was very unconscious and now I'm very aware now that many of the quotes or the people or the songs that have inspired me or helped me to like really feel life so deeply have come from black women or black men. Mm -hmm. So like Martin Luther King, um, Maya Angelou, 
um, songs by Billie Holiday or Ella Fitzgerald. I mean, these are people, you know... Yeah, the words. They're just the somehow, I really connect with it. And and I didn't, you know, do that intentionally, like go searching and say, oh, I'm going to really love this. It was like, no, like I, I noticed a quote on... You know, I used to send, well, I still do, but, you know, if I have a personal email that I send to somebody, I just have a, a quote in my footnote. And um, for the longest time, it was um, something that my old boss at Google, Kyle, actually had in hers, and I, bar- I asked her if I could borrow it. And it's this quote from Maya Angelou that is, um, success is liking yourself, liking what you do, and liking how you do it. Hmm. So, yeah, you know, there's... beautiful. It's beautiful. And there's so many things like that, that like are in my consciousness, in my culture, in how I've lived my life inspired me. And, um, and I just really want to recognize that because that's important and, um, I really value it. Mm. So we're, you know, we're, I want to kind of live my life by lifting people up and, so those are the things that I'm looking for right now um, and learning and listening. And yeah, that will just, that's my way, you know, and, um, and I hope that everybody is taking this chance to take the time, as you say, um, to open up context and to be more present with this topic and um, to start to learn to how they can, take action in a way that is super like you know builds momentum for them exactly mm-hmm. and um yeah. sustainable for them and also actually moves the needle for yeah black lives so it's not i mean so it's not just a token exactly you can sustainably get behind exactly and continue to embody um yes yeah yes let's wrap it up renee yeah thank you so it's been well, thank you so much very yeah. helpful and um I, you know we maybe we do one of these again where we can um think it through um you know share other learnings we've had but in any case i just want to send out a big a big warm hug to everybody who's struggling through this time and mm-hmm. you know let them know that you know they have a couple of advocates um on their side so Um, And I wish everybody a fabulous week and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Thanks for joining us. Links are in the show notes. If you found this episode inspiring, please share it with your family and friends. We can all do this sustainable life thing together. And don't forget, we have a mailbag and would love to hear from you. Let us know what your challenges are and what's been helpful. Email us at sustainablemailbag at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.